Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, which was a guest video produced for the Simon Dan YouTube channel, posted June 22nd, 2020, titled, Popular Evolution Denier is Unpopular. All right, good evening, folks. Kent Hovind here. Uh, Dr. Kent, the science gent, tonight is Wacken Atheist Wednesday. How many have been to one of these before? Sadly, I have. Simon Dan, we had to whack him oh, seven times, I think. One for every day of creation, apparently. And Dan has kept his head down for months. But guess what? He stuck it up again. Why does Kent do this to me every time I'm going on holiday? Maybe I can outsource this one. I was going to do uh, the plotting pussy, and I have some stuff on that. Conspiracy cats. Conspiracy cats. Perfect. You rang? Yeah, Kent Hovind just mentioned your name in this video, and I'm on holiday, so that means you need to cover it for me. Spend another hour of my life listening to Kent Hovind? I'm not prepared for that. Damn it. Well, who else can I get? Now we got one guy, <laughs> Paulogia. He's got a, a comic, a cartoon of himself, real muscular, you know. You ought to see him in real life. <laughs> Paulogia? Well, if Kent Hovind is making fun of him, he must be okay. Paulogia. You rang? Ken Hovind just mentioned your name in this video, so that means you need to cover it for me. Wow, that'd be great. I've always wanted to do a collaboration with you, Dan. Collab? Nope, I'm on holiday. You're on your own for this one, buddy. See ya. Um, okay. Simon Dan put one up yesterday. Somebody sent me the link, said, Brother Hovind, he stuck his head up again. Whack him. Okay, sweetly in Christian love. He said, <clears throat> evolution denier goes for the win. The Living Waters YouTube channel. Does anybody know who Living Waters? Ray Comfort. I know Ray. He's most famously known as the Banana Man, because he used to go around preaching how the features of a banana pointed directly to a creation by a god. You'll find the maker of the banana, almighty god, has made it with a non-slip surface. But not realizing that the features of modern bananas exist only because of generations of selective breeding by humans. Ray's video content is heavily reliant on random ambush street interviews. I'm not a fan of this format on the nightly news, because why waste your time hearing the impromptu opinion of someone with nothing better to do in the middle of the day than to talk to a reporter on subject matter they've likely given no prior thought to? It can work for Jimmy Kimmel-style comedy. Any country. No, no. And on the entire map. Um, this is so horrible. Where's America? I would say this big one, but I'm probably wrong. Okay. But this is no way to educate about science. Ray Comfort, I talked to him today, good friend of mine, okay? Known him for years. Simon Dan decided to pick on him. I contacted Ray, he texted me just about a half hour ago. I said, do you want to be on the channel? I asked him this morning and I asked him again tonight. He said, Brother Hovind, I don't have time. I'm filming a movie. Plus, I don't want to give these guys a platform. Just like any group, there are social politics in creationist circles. No different than every teen movie. At Creationist High, Ken Ham is the lead Heather. He's got the big boat, the cool hangout, the famous friends, and all the money. These are the other Heathers, including Kent's son, Eric, and our boy, Ray Comfort. They even made a big screen movie together. At Creationist High, Kent Hovind is one of the kids who people used to play with back when they were little, but now he's been to prison, he wears funny shirts, 
His ideas are antiquated and embarrassing, and he lives in a sad, abandoned sandbox. Ray is still willing to be private friends for old time's sake, but in public? No. Ray has an image to uphold. I said, well, I don't mind, because it's so fun to whack him. So, Dan, get your helmet on, son. Here we go. Here we go. Paul, watching Kent, watching Dan, watching Ray, bothers some poor student who is presumably just minding his own business. Do you know if there's any proof for Darwinian evolution that man and primates have a common ancestor? I believe there's some uh, uh, bone structure that we have, like our tailbone, for example. I think that, I believe, was a sign of uh, evolution. Uh, because as it decreased, we no longer needed it. Oh, no. The argument for evolution from vestigial features. While the student isn't wrong about this line of evidence, he's immediately phrased it in such a way as to fall into one of the favorite creationist traps. He's used imprecise language and shorthand phrasing, common among scientists who understand each other, have reasonable background knowledge, and are blissfully unaware that creationists like Ray and Kent will pounce on the trivial part in order to wave away the important part. This is the classic magician trick of misdirection. This is not juggling. This is called misdirection. In this case, Ray and Kent want to focus on whether the vestige is entirely unneeded. For effect, Kent has handy dozens of slides of textbooks from the 1980s to modern day that include... Some organisms have structures or organs that seem to have lost their function. For example, humans have a tailbone at the end of the spine that is of no apparent use. The coccyx is a small bone at the end of the human vertebral column and has no present function. The whale retains pelvic and leg bones as useless vestiges. When the focus is on the definition of uselessness, then the evolution denier has dragged you into the mud with them. All it takes are some reasonable-sounding secondary usages, and the main argument is made to seem problematic. The coccyx serves as an anchor attachment site for tendons, ligaments, and muscles. It also functions as an insertion point of some of the muscles of the pelvic floor. This is part of the whale's reproductive system. Whales have to mate in the water under dark with no arms, and they can't talk and say, screw it over, honey. Even Simon Dan fell into the distraction trap of defending uselessness. Yes, recently the appendix is thought to be a reservoir for beneficial gut bacteria. However, you can live a perfectly normal life without one. Yes, it has some pelvic floor muscles attached to it, but again, you can live a perfectly normal life without one. But, of course, what makes a vestigial structure evidence for evolution doesn't hinge at all on complete and utter uselessness, but rather on the clear demonstration that structures change in importance and function over time. If we want to be more precise in communicating with evolution deniers, we should prefer definitions like this one from Biology Online. Vestigial refers to an organ or part, for example, the human appendix, which is greatly reduced from original ancestral form and is no longer functional or is of reduced or altered function. Vestigial structures provide a clue to evolutionary history of a species because they are remnants of structures found in ancestral species. In his rapid, rampant readings, Kent even inadvertently echoed this more specific definition without letting it sink in. Human appendix has been proposed as to be a vestigial structure, a structure that has lost all or most of its function, that has evolved to take on a new function. Yes, that's exactly it, Kent. Thank you. A structure that has taken on a new function, or merely lost most of a function, can still be demonstrated to be vestiges. Consider a man who bought a treadmill 10 years ago used it regularly for a while, but now it serves only as a place to hang towels and laundry. 
it would be fair to say that this device is a vestige of a once active lifestyle. The fact that it serves the minor utility of keeping cloth off the floor in no way detracts from the evidence that the treadmill once served a more primary purpose in the owner's life. It may have been the cornered student who appealed to vestiges, but it was Dan who stirred up Kent's hornet nest with the claim about DNA. Do you know if there's any proof for Darwinian evolution that man and primates have a common ancestor? I would have thought the fact that we share 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees would be a good start, wouldn't it? We don't share 99%. This textbook says we have 98% similarity between humans and chimps. Well, this is back in, what's it, 1994. Okay, you're way, way behind on your science, Simon Dan. Now hold the phone there, Kent. Way behind on your science? I'm happy to talk about those percentage numbers. But the first complete human genome sequence was published in 2004. The first complete chimp genome sequence was published in 2005. So, to cite gene comparison estimates from 10 years before the gene was sequenced is like citing lunar surface estimates from 1959, 10 years before man landed on the moon, and then insisting that anyone who references post-lunar landing data are the ones way behind on their science. But Kent went on to rattle off a list of varying estimates, from 92% to 98.4%, from an array of pre-gene sequence studies, as though he was strengthening a point of some kind. We thought it was 98%, then 95%, now it's we're 7.7% difference. So, Simon Dan, get up to speed, son. In 2004, 16 years ago, they knew there were 7.7% difference. By measuring the temperature at which matching DNA of two species comes apart, you work out how different they are. You cook them, and the temperature they come apart at is how they determine similarities. I'm not sure if this is Kent's source, but the book The Monkey's Voyage, How Improbable Journeys Shaped the History of Life describes what Kent is talking about with very similar phrasing. It's describing DNA hybridization experiments from the 1980s, which artificially created hybrid strands from diverse species. For the book, the method was a measure, but it wasn't a very precise measure. In any case, no. This experiment from 40 years ago isn't how scientists determine similarities. It's now done with powerful computers and sophisticated software, but it appears Kent is entirely unaware of the genetic breakthroughs of the past 16 years. It marks the fourth of the human, 24 human chromosomes mapped so far. Well, they've only mapped four of them, and they've already decided we're related. To be clear, Kent is quoting a 2003 article from Wired magazine. I had to go find it. He didn't list it as a reference. And purporting that the four sequence chromosomes from that time represents the state of current research, as if no progress would have been made in years since. And you claimed just a minute ago, 99%. I would doubt that you're lying. You may be just stupid on this topic, okay? Says the man who seems blissfully unaware that we've been mapping entire genomes for 16 years now. But to be fair, what do we make of all these disparate estimates? Even in those since the chimp genome mapping in 2005, the journal Science in 2012, and Scientific American in 2014 affirmed Dan's 99% number. But both the American Museum of Natural History and the Smithsonian use an estimate of 98.8%. And in 2005, National Geographic and the National Human Genome Research Institute itself used an estimate of 96%. If this is a scientific and computational endeavor, why all these differences? Well, 
There simply isn't universal agreement on exactly how to count some of these differences. These two sentences have two letters different out of 36 letters. So it makes sense to say they're 95% similar. But in these two sentences, the word brown was duplicated. Do we count the letters different? The words that are different? Or do we say there's just one difference between them? A single insertion. Insertions occur when a whole section of DNA appears in one species, but not in the corresponding, corresponding strand of another one. Or these two sentences, where the words quick brown went missing. A single deletion? Two words different? Or ten letters difference? Or some other count? Deletions. A whole section is missing from one species. In genetics, these inserted deletion portions are known as indels. Now, geneticists simply don't spend a lot of time standardizing methodologies for counting these percentages. Because outside of providing a general idea to the general public, these numbers don't impact actual genetics work at all. But once again, Kent is attempting to use whether we're 96%, 98%, or 99% similar to chimps as a distraction from the actual evolutionary topic. The massive commonality in our genetics is best explained by common ancestry. It's not a perfect analogy, but one could conceivably come up with different criteria and different numbers to measure the percent similarity between the Lord of the Rings books and the Lord of the Rings movies. But whatever percentage one arrived at, it would be impossible to deny that one is derived from the other. Similarity might prove the same guy wrote the code. It might, but when combined with other lines of evidence, like vestigial structures and endogenous retrovirus insertions... Yeah, I think let's do ERV in a separate debate. I'm not prepared for that. We can now track changes over time that make no sense under the particular brand of special creation that Kent and Ray subscribe to. Okay, that's long enough. Uh, Dan, I only got through three minutes of your 10-minute diatribe about... Ray Comfort. And I barely scratched the surface on your hour-long diatribe against Dan. I mean, it was mostly needless repetition, but there were gems like this that I'd love to have time to unpack. Soviet dictator Stalin observed the creation of Planet of the Apes-style warriors. He ordered it. He said, I want you to create a half-human, half-ape. Hold on. Misrepresenting the science of evolution is one thing, but to misrepresent the science of a movie franchise is quite another. The dominant species in Planet of the Apes were not human-ape hybrids. They were species that evolved from modern apes, after some genetic alteration. Oh yeah, now I see why you don't understand it. Never mind. Why haven't we evolved wings? For a tail, too. Yeah, and for a tail. You could drive the car, hold the can of coke, turn the radio knob all the same time, if you had a tail. No wonder Simon Dan insists that Kent passes a basic science test before the two ever speak again. Son, let me explain it to you. The teacher gives the student a test. You are the student, I'm the teacher. <laughs> Indeed. If you aren't already subscribed to Simon Dan, please tap the button and fix that immediately. If you care to check out my channel, where I regularly look at the Young Earth claims of Ken Ham, Kent's son Eric, Ray Comfort, and others, look for Apologia, or find the link in the description. Huge thanks to Dan for inviting me. Happy holidays, my friend. Thanks for watching. And until next time, later.